Morning. Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing on in the looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, we're currently uh, looking at the second beatitude. And this morning we look at this, this beatitude, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. You know, we have, uh, all of us in some way, have experienced mourning. We've experienced grief in some way. That's what this word means. It's speaking grief, that we do indeed grieve. You know, throughout the history of mankind, there's been a lot of grief. Um, in our time, there has been a lot of grief. Uh, I remember back uh, 20 years ago now, I was in uh, southwest Louisiana at the time, pastoring a church uh, when the uh, planes smashed into the World Trade Center. I was a uh, pastor, I was a very young pastor, and I had no idea, I was very young uh, compared to what I am now, but, uh, uh, and I had no idea, what am I going to say to these people? How am I going to comfort them? And it finally came to me as we did the, the, the service, it finally came to me that comfort comes through grief. It passes through grief before it comes to your understanding. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It is unavoidable to see that God's comfort comes through mourning. It comes through grief. Last week we looked at the first beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Those are those who are bankrupt spiritually, and they know it. The poor in spirit are those who have nothing to bring that would cause the living God to say, okay, come on into eternity. Come on into my kingdom. The poor in spirit know that they are helpless apart from the living God. And so as we look at this thought, we need to understand that the Beatitudes, they go together, all right? You can't separate them out, even though I'm preaching each one. I said I wasn't going to do that, but I'm doing it now. I'm preaching each one. Uh, my staff is laughing at me right now. But uh, I, I said I wasn't going to do it, but I'm going to. Preaching each one separately, you can't separate them. Because one must be poor in spirit and be in the kingdom of God before they can mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for theirs is the, that they shall be comforted. We don't know the comfort of God until we mourn, and we don't grieve until we are in the kingdom of God, realizing that we 
are bankrupt in our own soul unless God moves and God saves and God redeems and he changes us. So I want us to look at that today. I I want us to see three things today. First of all, I want us to see uh, our mourning, mourning for sin. This mourning is for sin. This grief is for sin. Secondly, I want us to see the comfort that comes from Christ. The comfort that comes from Christ. And thirdly, I want us to notice that those who mourn and those who have received comfort from Christ then mourn for others. They mourn and grieve for others. So first, let us look at mourn for our sin. Blessed are those who mourn. Remember what I said about blessed, the word blessed. Uh, It's always kicked around as to what does this mean? What does it mean to be blessed? Most people translate it to be happy, but it's not happy as defined in uh, by the world, it's happy as defined by God. It's a divine happiness. It's a divine joy. It's a blessedness. It's a satisfaction. And ultimately what it is, is it's speaking of a person who is walking rightly with God. It's speaking of a person who is walking rightly in God. They're in right fellowship with God. You want to know the people who have the greatest happiness and the greatest blessedness and the greatest joy? It's the people who walk rightly with God. Not those who say that they do, but those who do. And so it says here that uh, blessed are the ones who walk right with God mourn. They grieve. What is it that they grieve over? Sometimes we think of the losses that we have uh, in this life, the losses that come from uh, tragedies such as 9-11 or losses of of people that we have loved, uh, losses of our jobs, losses of financial security, losses of various things. But this morning goes beyond that, and it's a morning of in regard to our Sin. We mourn over our sin. I want us to look and I want us to see a pattern this morning. First, go to Isaiah chapter 6. Will you turn there with me? Isaiah chapter 6. Allow me to read the first five verses. And I want you to see mourning taking place, grief in Isaiah. It says in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You know, we become poor in spirit when we see the King of glory. We become poor in spirit when we see the graciousness of God to reveal Himself to us as a holy, completely holy God. And in that experience, in that time when we hear the gospel and we hear this God and we see this God being holy, we see our own sin, our own brokenness, our own poverty of spirit. And I want you to see what he did. Woe is me. He began to grieve in the presence of God. Why? He saw his sinfulness. He saw that he was a sinner. Woe is me. I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. So we see that something going on here that in realizing being in the presence of the living God, being in the presence of God, seeing this scene of the glory of God filling the temple. What does he do? He grieves, it says. Woe is me. I am undone. Well, we sure see that. And he grieved over his sin. You know, with, uh, with Paul and his conversion in Acts chapter 9, we see as he's going along to Damascus, it says this. He says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. They walked him into the city. They led him in by hand, verse 8, led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, verse 9. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank, which is the activity of one who grieves. Paul had been guilty of giving credibility to the murder of Stephen and probably many others. And he was in a place of grief. He realized there on the road the poverty of his own soul. What comes after you realize, man, I'm bankrupt. I've got nothing to offer God. I've got nothing to give to him. I've got nothing that would cause God to save me. You grieve. You grieve realizing that. You grieve knowing that your sin is much. 
Grief follows the realization of that. In light of the holiness of God, our own sin is magnified and we are sorrowful. Right? Grieve over your sin. This is a mark, a characteristic of one who is a believer. We grieve over our sin. The sin we still commit. The sin that we committed before we knew Christ. We grieve. Isn't that what we do when we come to Christ? And we do that even now when we sin. We grieve. We're sorrowful. Not because we've been found out. But because of the realization that in our sin we've offended a holy God. I may have told this story before, but when we were boys, uh, my brother and I most often stayed by ourselves during the summertime. My mom worked, my dad worked. We had babysitters. Very few of them lasted beyond three days. You can imagine. So it was just up to us. And we had our chores and we knew we had to get them done. But then playtime came. And it was a rainy day because usually if it was not raining, we were out in the woods somewhere, you know, stomping around, making trouble out there for the animals or whatever. But uh, we were uh, in the house. And so we took a pill bottle and we put it on the bar. Okay. I don't know what pill bottle it was. We just grabbed one. It was handy. It's what we saw. And we had towels, and we were popping that pill bottle. Man, it'd fly across the room. Hey, kids, don't do this. Okay. And we would pop that thing, and it would fly across the room. And, you know, we'd run get it. And we were trying to see who could make it go farther, you know. One pop turned tragic because it sent the pill bottle into our mom's china cabinet, hit the corner of the glass down here at the bottom, broke it, pieces fell into the cabinet. I tell you, my brother and I probably did not breathe for a full 30 seconds. (gasps) Just stunned. I said, what do we do? He said, I know where the contact cement is. And he went and he got, we put all the pieces of glass back together and got them back in there with contact cement. Now, y'all know that stuff doesn't shine up real nice. When we were adults, we were helping my mama move. And we picked that thing up that's separated off the thing and, and we're carrying it. She goes, what, did y'all break the glass? And we looked at each other and just started laughing. Yeah, like 15 years ago, Mom. We'd been found out. Now, it wasn't so bad since it was 15 years later, but the, so the, the, the illustration breaks down. But we're sorrowful. When we are found out to be sinners. 
But it goes beyond that. Our sin is not merely revealing how little character we have and how awful our nature is. It is revealing that our sin is against a holy God. And some of us do not see God as holy as we should. We see him as our pal or our friend. Or merely as a father who's there when we need him. But if we consider the holiness of God. Every speck of sin in our life is exposed. But it's not merely the exposure. It's that my sin is against a holy God. David, after committing adultery, and after committing murder, He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against Uriah. He sinned against God. But he said in his prayer of repentance, against you and you only have I sinned. He saw the holiness of God as the ultimate way that he had failed and sinned. All of our sin is against a holy God. You know, our sin, it's part of our nature. When Adam sinned, guess what? Everybody sinned. It was passed down to all of us. But also we sin by committing sin, by doing that. We mourn for sin. That's what he's saying here. Blessed are those who mourn for their sin. Do you grieve over your sin? The truth of the matter is, is that there is corruption in all of us. The heart is deceitful beyond all other things. In our own nature, we are set against God. And our hearts are set to pursue only evil continuously. In light of the gospel, we see our sin. And those who see it grieve it. We mourn. Probably one of the best places is in Romans chapter 7. Paul is sharing with us some insight, personal insight, into how the law helped him to see his sin. I want us to look at verses 13 through 24 here. And I want us to notice the war that is going on, waging within Paul. Romans chapter 7, beginning in verse 13, he said, Did that which is good, that's the law, then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin that brought death to me, producing death in me through what is good, 
in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin, for I do not understand my own actions. Anybody agree with Paul there? I don't understand why I do this. I don't understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me. Bankrupt. Poverty of spirit right there. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. Verse 21. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Hey, Christian, you ever feel that way? Do you ever sense that same warfare and struggle going on in your own life? you ever sense the temptations that, like what he feels in his own flesh, the fleshly desires that are in us? you ever feel that? And you just push against it and you push against it. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose. But every time you lose, do you know what you do? You grieve. You grieve. Even if you win, you grieve in a sense. Because you grieve over the struggle that you have to have all the time. With your own nature. Now what I want you to see is verse 24. Wretched man that I am. Okay, Paul, I'll be with you on that one. Wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Y'all hear the mourning? You hear the grief? You hear the sorrow? Do you hear the weight that Paul feels? Because the battle that is always there. And he mourns. Speaking of his nature to sin and the sin that is committed because of sinful desire. He's got both going on there. What I want to do, I don't do. And what I don't want to do, that I keep on doing. He's got both of them going on. And he's mourning, wretched man that I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Here, let me pause and ask a question. Why is mourning or grief a blessed thing? Why is it that mourning is blessed? Well, one thing we've been talking about is we mourn our sin. 
Because we know sin is not something that is part of a right relationship with God. Sin is not something that we want to have in relationship with God. Our fellowship with God is broken because of sin. That's what John writes in 1 John. If, if you do sin, I knew I should have just marked it because the first thing I thought was, you're going to forget this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we have to own them. We have to own them. We're we're sinners. And there's a grief that comes before confession. Why is mourning a blessed thing? How does mourning or grief show our right relationship with God? Because grief is a word that speaks of love. You grieve what you love. You grieve because of what you love. The obituaries every day are filled with people who have died. But I don't grieve all of them. Why? I don't know them. I didn't have a relationship with them. I didn't love them. We grieve what we love. Or we grieve because we love. When it says, blessed are those who mourn. They mourn not because they have lost the sin, but because they have come in relationship with God. The mourning of those who are blessed points to the God Who brings comfort? It's a love word. It points to this holy God. The light that has shown brought with it a new love. And now, when I once loved sin, now instead, what do I love? God. And He's a holy God. And being a holy God... He will not tolerate sinfulness. We have seen the love of God because He has revealed His love to us. In other words, God's grace causes us to grieve. Before God's grace, we would not have grieved our sin. We would not have grieved in such a way that we had sinned against God, but we love God now. God's grace causes us to mourn because God's grace causes us to see Him as what He really is, holy God. We will not grieve our sin apart from God graciously showing us Himself and our sin. We won't do it. We'll carry on. 
Another reason that mourning is blessed is because mourning or grief, because as believers, our emotions, our sensitivity towards sin, our care and concern for others is magnified rather than diminished. Our sensitivity to sin and to others and to brokenness rises. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. We mourn because joy comes in the morning. Because our grief gets overwhelmed by the comfort of Christ. We mourn, but joy comes in the morning. Remember what I started off with? It's unavoidable to see that God's comfort comes through mourning. It comes through grief because I want you to notice some things. Let's go back to Isaiah chapter 6. In Isaiah chapter 6, we see uh, Isaiah grieving over his sin. He's got unclean lips, but in verse 6, I didn't read that earlier. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. You see that? The God who points out our sin and shows us our sin, this holy God who shows us how dreadfully, totally, depraved that we are. He not only shows us our sinfulness, but He is our comfort. The same God who convicts us of sin is the same God who forgives us of sin. Man, He's intentional from the get-go. All right? From the very beginning. He shows it. Here, you know, let me show you your sin. Oh! Now what? Oh! I'll save you. Your sins are atoned for. The God who broke him down just with his presence now says, let me forgive you. Blessed are those who mourn, who grieve over their sin. Why? Because the God they have offended is the God of all comfort and peace. That's why they're blessed. That's why they're happy. That's why they're fulfilled. We find with Paul the grief that he feels there in Romans chapter 7. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Oh, the God who showed him himself, showed Paul himself on the road to Damascus is also the one who forgives him. He is the God of all comfort. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Come to me, heavy laden, he says. 
Come to me, uh, those who labor. Labor under the weight of sin. Come to me and know that you are impoverished to remove the weight. Come to me, you who are bankrupt in spirit, and I will give you rest. You know, it's not just an imagination, and it's not just, you know, people being dramatic. That some people will not come to Christ because they believe that they have sinned too much for God to save them. I find that pretty regularly, actually. Where people believe, you know, I've resigned myself that I'm going to just go to hell. I've had someone say that. I've resigned myself that I have gone too far. You know, Jesus says, come to me. I want you to know if you're there and you're feeling the weight of sin on you right now. If you're feeling today and you sense today That, the, that you have not grieved sin, but you've actually embraced it. I, I want you to know when Jesus says, come to me, he ain't kidding. He means it. He sees your sorrow. And your sadness. And not over your sin. But over your circumstances. Over the destruction that sin is causing in your life, in your marriage. Your workplace. Your relationships. You feel the weight of it. Come to me, he says. He's not kidding. He's not like the Peanuts cartoon where Lucy says, trust me. And she holds the football. Younger generation, they're looking at me like, who are the Peanuts? But Lucy would always convince Charlie Brown. I'll hold it. I won't move the football. Because she had done it before. And time and time again. Charlie would trust her. And he'd go to kick that ball. And Lucy would pull that thing out. And he'd land on his back. Every time. Whoever comes to me, Jesus said, I will in no wise cast them out. Come to me. Heavy laden. Worn down. Beat down. Come to me. I'll give you rest. He's not kidding.
You say, well, you know, well, you don't know what I've done. You know what? In Jesus' day, there was a people that were outcasts. They were called lepers. They had little places outside of the city because they were unclean. And as a matter of fact, uh, uh, the lepers, one thing that they would do is that as they uh, saw someone coming, getting too close to their area where they had been outcast, the leper would say, unclean, unclean. In fact, it was against Jewish law for you to go up to a leper and touch them or anything like that. But having heard of Jesus and heard of the sincerity of His message and heard of the wondrous works that He had done, some leper evidently just came up to Him and said, you know what, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus, casting aside all thoughts of Himself getting leprosy, Casting aside all the rules in regard to touching a leper, he reached out and he touched him and said, I am willing. Come to me, he said. He's not kidding. He will save you. He will remove the burden of sin. He will lift it off of you. Come to me. And I will give you rest. Rest from all the work you're trying to do to be righteous, to be fulfilled, to be happy. That labor will not be fruitful. Only the work of Christ on the cross will save you. Come to me. He said. Jesus was in Simon's house. And a woman came in. And she fell at Jesus' feet and she began to weep on his feet. And wash his feet with her tears, with dry them with her hair. She was a woman of ill repute. But she had come to know the grace of God in some way. And there she was, pouring herself out at the feet of Jesus. Coming to know grace. Oh, you who think you have sinned too far. Come to him. And he will give you rest. Blessed are those who mourn. Why? They know the God of all comfort and peace. And there's not a sin they want to keep, we want to keep, in place of Him. Blessed are those who mourn, who grieve over their sin. Because they've come to know the one who is full of grace and truth. The one who takes away every sin. The one who empowers us by the gospel, by the Spirit of God. So that we may walk in Him. So we mourn 
This mourning is for our own sin. We mourn because we know the God of comfort, and He does indeed comfort us. But also, blessed are those who mourn. They shall be comforted. There's a sense also in which they shall be a comfort. They shall be a comfort. I want you to see in Isaiah chapter 6. After Isaiah has seen the poverty of the spirit and he's grieved. And he's atoned for. He writes, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am. Send me. We mourn for others. We mourn for others. Isaiah, in being redeemed by God, in being forgiven by God, being one who is poor of spirit, being one who mourns over his sin, now sees the necessity to care for others. In Paul's commission, Jesus told Ananias to go to him. Ananias said, Lord, hadn't you heard about this guy? How much evil he has done? He said, go. Lord, so to him, go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. You see, with the salvation with the cleansing of sin, with the comfort in place, God then puts us on the road to being a comfort to others. And so I I want us to look at that. We notice that in Isaiah. Paul was grieved over his sin, but then faithfully answered the call to carry the gospel, suffering every step of the way. Our mourning turns to joy because God is our comfort. But then it turns to mourning again over others who are lost in rebellion towards God. And all who are lost in rebellion towards God will spend eternity away from God and in a place of punishment Forever. Doesn't that cause us to grieve? Because some of you perhaps have a brother or sister or mother or father, a son or a daughter. friend can you think of them right now people that you know 
are separate from God. They're sinners. They don't grieve over their sin. They actually flaunt it in your face. Do you know them? It's out of grief over sin and injustice that many Christians have devoted their lives to setting captives free or healing the sick or comforting the dying. Devoted their lives to it. I think... uh, Many different Christians. I I, I think of William Wilberforce. And his seemingly never-ending pursuit for the abolition of the slave trade in England. He wanted to be a pastor. He was submitting himself to the ministry. Trying to get out of Parliament. And his friends convinced him, you can serve the Lord right here. And for years, year after year, he introduced legislation for the abolition of the slave trade. Why did he do that? He did it compelled to give comfort to those who did not know comfort because he knew comfort and it came from the living God. Folks, I want you to know that God wants you to know him as the God of all comfort and peace. The God who rids us of sin and the God who embraces us as his children. But he doesn't call us to just sit back and say, hey, I'm a child of God. You know, I'm good. No, he puts a calling on our hearts and our lives. He says, I'm going to go battle this. Because it's weighing people down with sin. I'm going to go battle abortion. Because it's killing unborn babies. I'm going to go battle fatherlessness. Because it's causing men not to be men. We begin to mourn for others and the things around us and our children, and our grandchildren that do not know Jesus. Blessed are those who mourn. Satisfied are those who mourn. Why? They know the God of comfort. And they want to bring comfort to others. And we do that by carrying the gospel everywhere we go. Let's pray together.
Father, if all you did was count up all of our sins and not offer us grace, no one would stand. No one would know eternity with you. All would burn forever in the lake of fire. But God, you have been gracious. You have been good. You have extended to us grace by making yourself known. And Lord, I pray, God, that you would use us to make yourself known through the proclamation of the word, through walking in a way that is according to the gospel. Toward making known, Lord, to our friends and our family and being in constant prayer for those who do not know Jesus. Father, help us. Lord, to walk in a way that pleases you with the joy, Lord, that comes from knowing you. But also, Lord, help us to be those who make impact in the world around us. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the love you've shown us in Jesus' name. Amen.